This is an ABC podcast. Hack. Don't take drugs and you'll be safe. That's the message from the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, after the death of a young man at a music festival in his state over the weekend. Hey, it's Tim Shepherd filling in for Dave Marchese. It's been years since the New South Wales government was told that there are ways to make festivals safer. And despite that, there's been no major action. But could we see changes after the next election? And we're also going to look at how hard it is to try and find love in the country. Hack. T minus 10. NASA's mission to save humanity one day in the future. Between 1968 and 1972, America launched nine human missions to the moon, six of which successfully touched down, allowing 12 men to walk on the lunar surface. I think it's fair to say NASA has never been busier or more productive. We're firing on all cylinders. It was the second thing you learned about me after my name. I'm Pam Melroy, and I'm going to be an astronaut. On Triple J. Yeah, well, if you're anything like me, then your watch lists and your feeds are full of shows and movies about space and astronauts. Do you stay up late to watch asteroids getting smashed off course or the launch of the latest rocket? Maybe you've wondered what it's like to be an astronaut and how, as a young person in Australia, can actually get involved. Well, let's find out. Pam Melroy is the Deputy Administrator of America's space agency, NASA, She's in Australia. She's talking to people like you who want to be part of the next generation of space exploration. And she joins me now. Pam, welcome to Hack. Hey, thanks, Tim. It's great to be back in Oz. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks you so much for coming on. Um, Look, I just want to know, you know, you started working at NASA almost 30 years ago. Before that, you were a pilot in the Air Force, I understand. So can you tell me some of the things um, that you've been able to do in your career? Yeah, I've been uh, really lucky. Either that or I apparently uh, uh, can't uh, stay focused on one thing at a time. But after being a pilot, I went to be an astronaut, and that was an amazing experience to fly in space three times, helped build the International Space Station. And uh, then I moved on to figure out what was going on in industry, especially with the new commercial space sector, and uh, then came back to NASA and to the leadership team, which is uh, a perfect time. Such an amazing career. Can I just ask, and I'm sure you do get asked a lot, what's it actually like to shoot off from Earth in a rocket? Uh, Well, it's uh, not exactly like uh, taking off in an aircraft. I've often compared it to more like having a traffic accident. It it hits you very hard, and uh, suddenly you're going faster and higher than you could ever dream possible, and the clouds are whizzing by like a leaf in the wind. Amazing. And like you just mentioned that you've, you've been working in this field, not just for NASA, but for a really long time, a lot longer than some people listening to this may have even been born. So you're now one of the highest ranking people um, in the agency. How has NASA changed in that time, do you think? Yeah, it's extraordinary. When I think about it now, I mean, we've been, have a permanent presence on the International Space Station with humans in space for 23 years. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening have never known a world where there wasn't somebody living in space. Uh, We have changed a lot in 50 years. You know, the Apollo program, which inspired me, was just the U.S. It was white male test pilots. And uh, the Artemis program, our new moon program, is going to land the first woman and the first person of color. And we're going to stay this time. It's not just to visit. It's to do science and exploration and to go out into the solar system, which I think is super cool. You just sort of touched on this, but you're, you're one of only two women, I understand, to ever command a space mission for NASA. 
So how is NASA sort of working and probably the broader space sector with those other commercial agencies and businesses as well? How are they working to sort of address diversity and accessibility? It's a really huge issue for us. I think we can't afford to ignore half the population. When you're doing something really hard like going to space, we need the best people that we can get. But also, we're setting a precedent with everything we do as we go out into the solar system with humanity for the first time. We really need to be inclusive and talk about, hey, what are the rules of the road? How do we be transparent? Uh, How do we work together? Yeah, okay. So I understand that you're out here talking to young people about the opportunities for them, you know, now and in the future. And so what are they? Yeah, that's right. It's exciting to, uh, to be in the space industry right now. Again, a big difference with our Artemis program, uh, the twin sister of Apollo, is that we're going with our international partners. And the Australian Space Agency, which started in 2018, has uh, signed up to support us. And uh, we'll be going together pretty soon, I hope. In a few years, you'll see a little rover on the surface of the moon with an Australian flag on it. And uh, there were a lot of opportunities, Uh, great schools here, great technical capability. So I think uh, the time has never been better. Yeah, I was going to ask, if someone is, you know, maybe leaving school soon or they're out of school and they're at uni and they want to get into this kind of work, what, what should they study or what experience should they get? Yeah, it's a great question. I think usually what we would say is, look, there's a lot of interest in the STEM fields, uh, anything to do with science, technology, engineering, and maths. Uh, Industry is hiring. Uh, They're very interested. There's a lot of jobs in those areas. But I just want to remind everybody that, again, when we go out together, we actually need people who understand the law, artists, uh, people who can tell a story as well. It's going to take a, a whole generation. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not just about the sciences and everything like that. You know, it's a, it's a big team effort. That's right. And it's a global team effort this time, which is really fun. And it's great to have Australia as a partner. Yeah, I was going to ask, what role is Australia playing? You know, could a teenager now end up being an astronaut soon? Or is it more of a technical role, providing equipment and things like that? Well, uh, I think that, that, you know, the space agency is new enough that those things are building. But certainly uh, the ability to launch a rocket to build a spacecraft uh, to uh, run a ground system and a comms system. Those are all things that absolutely can be done today in Australia. In the future, I do expect to see that partnership to continue to expand, and there will be uh, tremendous opportunities. You mentioned the Artemis missions uh, a little bit before. Are you able to explain a little bit about what the goal of Artemis is? Because you mentioned it's about staying on the moon rather than just visiting. Yeah, this is very exciting. We're realizing that we're ready to go to stay. And I'll I'll just give you a quick example. I flew the space shuttle. We learned that we could do a lot of science in microgravity. Uh, We learned so many things. When you take gravity out of the equation, all of a sudden understanding how fluid flows or combustion flows or how the human body works. But we were only flying the shuttle about six times a year for about 10 days at a time. So together with our partners, we built the International Space Station so that we could do science 24-7. Well, now we have learned how to sustain people in space for up to a year at a time. So that means we're ready to push out into the solar system. We're learning so much about the cosmos from James Webb Space Telescope. But really, we got to get out there to the moon. We got to get to Mars where we're looking for signs of life in the solar system. And we need to go and we need to send people out there. So the goal of the Artemis program is to sort of create a blueprint for a sustained human presence throughout the solar system for exploration and science. We're really going to do it. Science fiction, it's for real. It's happening. Um, I have to ask, though, I guess, and probably to be blunt, I mean, 
there's a lot of things that happen on earth and obviously these projects take so much money to sort of get up and off the ground. You know, some people might say that maybe we have things that we should be focusing on in terms of climate change or our other issues at home. What do you think of that? Well, what a lot of people don't realise is the only way we're going to study climate change is from space. You just simply can't measure what's going on on the earth except from space at scale. So that's a big part of NASA's mission also. We're not just a space agency and an aeronautics agency. We are a climate agency. And in fact, we're partnering with the Australian Space Agency as well on climate satellites and climate data. We really need to understand other planets as well. Mars used to have running water why don't they anymore? If we can study those things and understand them, they will help us understand the Earth's climate better. Right. So it's not just about going out for the fun of it. It's, you know, it's actually achieving these big things that could help here at home. Absolutely. And the technology investments that we make actually filter out into everyday life. And one of my favorite examples is in the Apollo program, NASA basically invented software engineering, which never existed before. And there are multiple spin-offs that we see, the camera in your cell phone, GPS, you name it. So when we do hard things for space, it spins off and it affects life here on Earth in a positive way. You're listening to Hack. I'm Tim Shepard. I'm speaking with Pam Melroy, who's the Deputy Administrator of NASA. And there was something you mentioned before about the commercial space agencies. So I think in the past, you know, it used to be if you wanted to get involved, you had to get to the government agencies. But now you've got companies like SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic. How do these companies play into what NASA's doing and other governments? Yeah, that's right. It's actually so exciting to see. Well, you know, the role of the government is really to set a strategy. And uh, then we go out and find partners that help us do that, whatever we're doing, uh, most effectively. And uh, what we found is these commercial partners can give us capability at lower cost. So we get more innovation, we get uh, more creativity, uh, and we do it all at lower cost. So we love our commercial partners. They're helping us do all kinds of things in space now. And uh, they're also sort of bringing the cost down for everybody, which is going to have an impact, I think, on everyday life. I mean, the, the holy grail someday is 45-minute trip from Sydney to New York. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, you know, something you mentioned too about the commercial agencies that got me wondering, you know, if, if obviously you're trying to get the best and the brightest to come and work for you, are you worried that those um, commercial businesses might be taking some of the people that you want to end up at NASA? I think uh, in a gr any growing industry, there's a lot of competition for talent. I'll tell you the one big difference. Uh, I think the commercial industry moves really fast. That's the gift that they have. They push really hard and they move fast and that's a lot of fun. Uh, but we're creating the strategy. We're setting like w the goals and where we're going. And uh, if you really care about the big picture and uh, making sure we're doing it all for the right reasons in the right way, you go to work for government. Are there any other missions that you know, young people should know about that they should be thinking about in the future? Yeah, lots of exciting missions, you know, really trying to understand not just uh, sending humans out to do science. We can do so much more science with humans, but we're also uh, sending some very, very interesting missions out into the solar system. Today, we are operating the first powered aircraft on another planet. It's called Ingenuity, a little helicopter uh, on Mars, which is amazing. And it's going to fetch and carry samples so that they can be returned to Earth so we can look for signs of life. And we're going to be developing other aircraft that will fly on other planets. And we're going out to look uh, at an asteroid called Psyche, which is 90% iron and nickel. Um, we have a lot of very exciting missions that are going to happen 
uh, to help us understand the solar system and the universe better in the next year. Something else that I have to ask about is the idea that's been coming up a lot lately of military in space. And, you know, it was something that was sort of joked about at first. You know, there was a TV show that sort of mocked it. But is it something we need to take seriously? Well, truth is the military has been in space from the very beginning, right? They need comms just like everybody else. And so they've been using communication satellites, uh, command and control. That's been happening for decades. Uh, What's happening now, though, is that people are starting to see innovation in space and wondering about some of the technologies that are being demonstrated. Could they be used in a nefarious way? And uh, it's awfully hard in space uh, to know why somebody is doing what they're doing. Maybe it's, is it satellite servicing or is it a robot that is uh, sneaking up on another satellite? Uh, I think it does make, make people uncomfortable, but the truth is right now we don't really, you know, we, we're not seeing that, um, that there's something that I think, you know, we can tell the difference. So we do worry about it, but there's a lot of great technology innovation out there. We shouldn't let it stop us. And do you think that the US is threatened by any other governments or countries around the world, or is it still very much leading the sort of the technology sector in space? I think the US and its partners together are still leading, certainly in innovation without a doubt. There are other countries. Uh, China's pushing very hard. They're putting a lot of investment. They've got a space station with a a crew operating up there right now themselves, uh, which is great. They've landed on the far side of the moon and uh, brought back a sample. I think uh, those things are good. I, you know, most astronauts will tell you that uh, more business is good. Uh, we th- we think that's true. Uh, we'd like to be able to work together. We think we should be working together in a transparent way, and that's probably the uh, the reason why I'm here in Australia. Yeah, fantastic. Look, Pam, just before you go, there are so many young people listening to you around the country right now. I mean, what message can you send them to help help them maybe be inspired to reach the same heights as you? Well, I'll just say space is the place. You belong there. And I believe the first person to set foot on Mars is alive and in school somewhere today. And I'd be really thrilled if 20 years from now I was listening to a radio show with one of them talking about being the first person to set foot on Mars. It could be you. (laughs) You and me both, I hope I'm there as well. Um, But look, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people thanking you. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us on Hack. Uh, Pam Melroy there, the Deputy Administrator of America's Space Agency, NASA. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Hack. To go down a path to suggest it's okay to take illicit drugs is something we do not support. The drug testing was done sort of hidden in plain sight. What did you find? Oh, caffeine. We found a lot of caffeine, caffeine in paint. Good quality paint. My key message as Premier of New South Wales to every single person across our state today, stay safe, don't take drugs, and you will be safe. On Triple J. Well, another summer festival season is coming to an end in Australia and tragically there's been another death related to drugs. This time a 26-year-old man has died from a suspected overdose in Sydney after going to Transmission Festival over the weekend. And at the same gig, another 12 people had to be taken to hospital after taking drugs. But could these deaths and injuries have been prevented? Well, a few years ago, the government in New South Wales was actually told by a coroner that there are ways to reduce the danger from drugs at festivals. The Premier of New South Wales, Dominic Perrite, has ruled out any major changes and his message is simply don't take drugs. Kate Fairman is an MP in the New South Wales Parliament. She's the Greens Party spokesperson on this issue and she's with me now. 
Kate, thanks for coming to Hack. Hey, Tim. Pleasure. Look, can you take us back to 2019? What was the advice that the New South Wales government was given and why? Yeah, so that is very frustrating that they were given this advice more than three years ago now by the Deputy State Coroner, Magistrate Harriet Graham, who looked into the terrible uh, deaths, six deaths at music festivals over uh, the course of a couple of summers, 2017, 18, 19 uh, summers, and uh, we had this terrible spate of deaths in New South Wales. So the coroner looked into those and she looked into those with a view to making recommendations to the government about how to reduce the harm of drugs and ultimately how to save lives. So she made a bunch of recommendations and uh, when the report finally came out, her report, which was extensive, she held 16 hearings, 24 volumes of evidence and it was a a huge mission and when she... uh, that report came out, the government within a few days ruled out uh, the key recommendations, uh, one of which is pill testing. The other one was around uh, making sure that drug detection dogs were not at music festivals. And the third was around decriminalisation of of drugs. Right, they're the three main ones. And so pill testing obviously is about being able to take your drugs to a site where Um, you know, a laboratory can tell you what's in it. Um, The New South Wales government is arguing that by allowing that, they'd be providing people with a false sense of security. What do you make of that? That's just ridiculous. Uh, Clearly, people are are taking drugs in a a big big way uh, right across uh, the the country. I was just reading, in fact, in the report from the coroner, the statistic of one in six 17-year-old boys have tried, uh, used ecstasy, one in 10 17-year-old girls. So so people are, uh, whether the Premier or whoever likes it or not, uh, it is a very common occurrence every weekend in every capital city and every probably every town across the country. So uh, this is this is something uh, that is, you know, something that we need to be need to be looking at. And in fact it's incredibly frustrating that the the government hasn't you know, hasn't looked at um, this and rejected it outright, can I say, rejected pill testing. When I just, it was about a month ago, I visited the Canberra Pill Testing Services. So Mm -hmm. they have tested pill testing, they have tested pills at two festivals in Canberra. Now they have a permanent permanent, uh, facility in the Canberra community where they can test people's drugs. So what happens is people are able to get their drugs checked, they're able to find out what's in them, they're able to find out if there's any dangerous substances, they're able to speak to a health professional, they're able to speak to a drugs counsellor and they're able to work out should they take that drug, is it safe or, you know, if they're still going to take the drug, mm. how to do so as safely as possible. So when we've had drug drug checking in place at those Canberra music festivals, no drug overdoses occurred and in fact some people discarded their drugs when they found out what was in them. And a really important point, Tim, is that I've spoken with people who do this in the UK, right? and festivals right across the UK. So uh, in the past, when there's been a, uh, say, a pill's been in circulation that has a really deadly substance in it, they are able to issue an alert to the entire festival to let them know that there's a dangerous um, pill in circulation and not to take it and if people have taken it to get help. Imagine 
if we had that at transmission festival, because that's, I think, what's happened to you, that's the, the suspicion, is that there's a bad batch of MDMA going around, mm. that potentially could have been caught and festival goers potentially could have been warned about it. Yeah, we're getting a lot of text through on this. Someone bringing up a different festival, which was Laneway in Sydney. They said they emailed police about the issue because they were going in the police and there was sniffer dogs present and they say it's completely unsafe. They say without incriminating anyone, they know a lot of younger people who did their entire day's worth of drugs when they saw that entrance set up. Yeah, it's, this is so frustrating to hear. It just makes me so angry, actually. This morning I phoned uh, a woman, Jen Ross King, whose daughter, Alex Ross King, was one of the six uh, people who died at music festivals a few years ago. And I just checked in with her, actually, and Jen has been a strong advocate for pill testing since she lost her only child, uh, Alex, to what was uh, Alex consuming all of her drugs at once when she saw those uh, drug detection dogs. This is what the coroner also found, that people were doing this. Uh, so hence the recommendation to not have drug detection dogs. Uh, it's, it's clear that people are still con- wanting to consume drugs. They're not not doing it. They're just engaging in riskier behaviour because of those dogs at the door. Yeah, and we are running out of time, but just really quickly, do you think with the state election in New South Wales only a couple, few weeks away now, do you think that it will become an issue that young people will, will vote on? Look, I think it should be because I was, honestly, Dominic Perrottet's uh, comment today that people should just say no to drugs, uh, just don't do drugs, is highly and grossly irresponsible. Uh, the coroner, in fact, found that the just say no message is dangerous. It doesn't work. Not only does it not work, it's actually dangerous dangerous because it stops uh, a harm reduction approach. Uh, People keep their heads in the sand. Governments keep their heads in the sand. Uh, So for the Premier to come out and actually say what the coroner that looked into deaths at music festivals said was dangerous is just so gobsmackingly irresponsible. So yes, I think it should be an issue. I think we need a change of government, frankly. We need to kick the Liberals out because they've got their head in the sand on this. Labor has, uh, I understand, uh, isn't that much better, to be honest. They've committed to a drug summit. Uh, Look, we need more than that. The, The evidence is in. The evidence is in by both the coroner and the commissioner who looked into ICE. Mm. They have both recommended pill testing. They both recommended getting rid of drug dogs and they both recommended decriminalising all drugs. Yeah, definitely a huge issue, Kate Fairman. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. That was Kate Fairman, a Greens MP in New South Wales. Pack. What's a typical date in Mackay? Restaurant and Yeah, everyone wants to just read. On Triple J. Look, you didn't think I was going to get through a whole show without mentioning Valentine's Day, did you? Some of you are probably getting ready to go out for a nice date right now, but you might also be desperately swiping or flame reacting to try and sort something out last minute. If you're living in the city, the problem you might have is that you can get overwhelmed by all the options. But if you're in the regions, a lot of you are having the opposite problem. Maybe you've only been looking for five minutes and you've already run out of people. Maybe the people left in your town have already been out with your friends. And maybe you had a really nice thing going with someone until they told you they weren't interested anymore because they found out you didn't own an 80 series Land Cruiser or a dual cab Hilux. But look, enough about me. I want to hear from you. Tell me what it's like trying to date in your town. Message in on 0439 757 555. 
Two reporters, Hannah Walsh and Lillian Watkins, have been out to see just how hard it is to find love. And just a warning that things might get a little wild in this package, so maybe switch off if you've got kids in the car. What's your favourite pickup line? <laughs> Can I say it? Yeah. All right, roses are red, violets are sweet. As long as I have a face, you'll have a seat. <laughs> Um, I haven't been on like a fishing date, but I've definitely been on a four-wheel drive date, which isn't, yeah, it's all right, I guess. What's a typical date in Mackay? Restaurant and a room. Yeah. Um, just walking the club, you know, be myself and, yeah, just say how you doing, love, and, yeah, you know, one word after another and Bob's your uncle, eh? Is that successful in the clubs? Uh, uh. Welcome to Mackay, North Queensland home for around 121,000 people. And according to census data, there are more men than women, which is the opposite of the national average. We moved here for work and thought things might be in our favour, but two years on and we're single as a Pringle. We've got the apps, but most of the time you never meet your matches. People are always coming and going. And if you don't like pictures of dead fish, dead pigs, mullets, or four-wheel driving, you are out of luck. But that's just our two cents. So in the spirit of Valentine's Day, we decided to find out if we were alone in our single struggles. It's been, it's been all right, but it's pretty shit. Why? It's not the place to fall in love. Spoiler alert, we are not alone. First up, we thought we'd go to the main shopping centre to try get people's thoughts on dating. All right, we're in the local shopping centre. No one's been really keen to chat about dating. Not really sure why. <laughs> Who would want to do that? Hopefully we'll have more luck at pubs. Okay, there's a couple of dudes in the corner. I should go up to them. I'll get you go first. <laughs> you didn't, you asked them. <laughs> what does a typical date kind of look like up here? Go to the pub and drink, I suppose. This is 26-year-old Rowan. He reckons the nature of a lot of work here can make things pretty tricky. Been away a bit, so it makes it hard. Um, work on the boats, so spend a lot of time at sea. Being away a lot, does it make it kind of hard to date? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I suppose it's unfair on them, unfair on me, so... Next, we met 19-year-old Kira and Chloe, who also reckon the FIFO life makes it hard. For our age, you've either got to either like do Tinder or something like that, or you've got to know them from school, or just go out on the weekend. It's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people are going in and out and like, if you don't want to do long distance, then it's a bit harder. But yeah, definitely a lot harder to lock someone down, I reckon. When do you think you'll um, give up trying to find someone in Mackay? Um, now. Right now. We have given up. Yeah. <laughs> Shit is bleak. But it's probably worth noting that we were hitting up pubs on a weeknight and then we went to singles night at a local bar, so we probably weren't going to be hearing from people who'd already found their soulmate. We're sure those love stories do exist, but for this story, we did want to learn what was causing struggles for some. Dating app culture seemed to be a recurring theme. Um, if I'm going to be pure honest, I don't really see like is just crap for love life, honestly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's the dating scene like in Mackay? It's so dry. Yeah, they're kind of toxic. <laughs> I'm dating my boss's son and he's awesome. Um, What's a typical date in Mackay? Restaurant and a room. Yeah, everyone wants to just rude. They're like, oh yeah, you want to get some? And then they yeah. just eat and, they and then... Ghost you. They ghost yeah, you. Yeah, they ghost you after they are done with it. Then we met Nathan and Bo. Wearing Crocs with VB socks. You want two, do I mate? Just put the board and. And and what are the socks for? It's a bit hot around here. 
Oh, it's just the looks, eh? These guys had some unique takes. And what does a date look like in Mackay? What do you typically um, do? Take a, take a the hog's breath and come over here, have a game of pool and, yeah, see how the night goes. And We also wanted to ask the experts, what impact does shift work, FIFO arrangements, dating app culture have on finding love and hence people's experience in small towns? FIFO relationships can be interesting, uh, especially in a regional and remote town like Mackay. The biggest issues you have is you've got a long distance relationship possibly at times, which can create communication issues. Kelly Anderson has been a psychologist in mining communities for two decades and says it presents a lot of non-traditional relationships. But I do think that's happening a lot in our metropolitan areas as well because of um, different types of ways people work. So a lot of people working remote and um, bigger organisations where they're travelling. The online scene creates that opportunity to explore a little bit outside of those areas. So I think there's a lot of people trialling different types of relationships now. So if you're unlucky in love this Valentine's Day, no, you're not alone. It's not all doom and gloom. Take this piece of inspiration from Todd, finishing off a long day with a schooner at the pub. So I guess where's the point where you give up on love? You wouldn't. You gotta keep trying. You gotta keep trying. Or as Nathan and Bo with the Crocs put it. There's love out there. Yeah, there's love out there. You just have to go out and look for it. <laughs> it's like a bit like fishing, you know, you gotta fish for it. Hack on Triple Jack. Hannah Walsh and Lillian Watkins reporting there from my old stomping ground of Mackay. And that story was produced by Angel Parsons. Got some texts coming through as well. Someone, Reese says, I swiped through the entirety of my hometown at max distance settings and got no matches. Well, Reese, keep trying. Hopefully, you can get some better luck. Mac also says, I own a dual cab Lux and reckon it definitely paid off. Ended up with a girl who loves camping, so she loves the luxury Lux. Hack on Triple J. Yeah, look, dating in the bush. Got some experience there, and I definitely say it is something that is pretty challenging, but that's all we've got time for today. I'll see you tomorrow.